Today's show is Joe Pardo. Joe Pardo is an award-winning podcaster, and he runs the Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference. Now, I'm really proud to say I'll be speaking at the conference. In addition to podcasting, Joe is also a business coach and has created a new television program that will be coming soon. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview as much as I did, and I give you Joe Pardo. This is unstructured. Today, I felt like I needed to elevate this show. So in order to elevate the show, I need somebody super. So I hope that today, Super Joe Pardo can help us fly and have a great conversation. How are you doing today, Joe? I am wonderful. How about yourself, Super Eric? <laughs> you crack me up. You always say super to whomever you're speaking I tr- to. I try. I try. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm still trying to decide, is it corny Absolutely. But I mean it, like I mean it like a lot. So I, I want people to to feel, you know, special about themselves and and realize that there's more to themselves than than they're allowing themselves to see, or at least ha- more self-value to what they what they do. Okay, so you believe that everybody is actually awesome. Yeah, it's not just about me being great because super the whole super thing is is far from that. It's it's sure. really about other you know uh, helping lift other people and bring this bringing the super out of them. So when you say super to somebody, it's like saying Mister to uh, a male or Mrs. to a female. You're just yeah. saying super. Yeah, it's a gender neutral. Hey, super fill in the blank. Ex- exactly. Well, that's cool. So like I said, we're elevating already. I was about to say, you probably say it to everybody that you interview, but I guess not. <laughs> uh, no, you're the first super. And unfortunately, Super Dave Osborne has passed. Oh. <laughs> so you're holding that on your own. Now, it actually makes some sense looking into your past. You seem to be very into the fantastical. Um, you're a huge fan of Disney. You're very artistic in your books things like that. Have you always pursued this dual path of, of business, but yet having joy and art at the same time? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Going back to like, I mean, even in like school, like back in school days, you know, writing a lot of poetry. In fact, I have a book of poetry that at some point when I get the time, I, I want to release a book just of old poetry that I wrote that I would love to put into something that people could check out. I mean, a lot of it's pretty dark. So, so, so yeah. Well, we were all teenagers once. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you got to let the darkness <laughs> out. Right. And I think that's, that's the important part is that if it's out, at least it's not in and, and eating away at you. You were also a DJ, right? Uh, yes. I, I, I was slash am still a DJ. Yes. Well, that, that's one thing I always believe in is that whole element of like, I know that you also run, yes. but that's kind of a matter of you're super Jadar Pardo. You run, you do DJing, you do art. You not, you aren't necessarily any one of these things as an identity. Yep. And, and that was, uh, with my first book, I wanted to do a bunch of artwork in, in the book. Uh, I did it in Sharpie artwork and like a graffiti kind of style to kind of prove like what you, what can I accomplish even though I'm not an artist, but I play one in a book and it's like, 
but I, I mean, I am an artist in, in a lot of different ways, but but not like the drawing kind. But I did it in two two separate books, and, I, and I'm proud of that. Even though some people are like, "That looks like a kid drew," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of the point." <laughs> you know, you you, uh, you got to connect with your inner kid if you're going to figure out like the first you know first book is is basically like uh, like a book of like the rules of being like super kind of thing. <laughs> Um, and then the second book is about how to dream big and, and go get it. And it, uh, that drawings, I want to pull you back into being a kid because that's where you're going to figure out like, well, what was it that I wanted to be when I was a kid? And how am I going to get to where I want to be now? And does that align with that? And does it align with the whole story that I built for myself over the years with the choices that I've made um, and the cards that I've been dealt in the process? So, I, yeah, I, that, you know, yeah. Is that something you've always had? Or are you almost striking back against something to bring this forth? Which which part? Creating books or no? Just this this exuberance. You have a just natural exuberance. Like you want to play. You want to go to Disney and play. You want to play with colors here. You're on a podcast with me. You want to play. You want to go jam some music. You want to play. Is that a natural thing that you've always kind of been? Um, I don't want to say indulged, but supported in, or is that kind of something you've developed later saying, you know what, this is my world and I'm going to make it. I would, I would say it, no, I would say I, I've always had that, uh, that flair to me. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I used to write, um, you know, I said I wrote poetry and, and I have this, this big book that I, of poetry from like forever ago that I want to put into a book, but um, you know, I used to do, I used to do draw a lot of drawings when I was like little, like little, little, like six, seven years old. Um, and, and I got, I wanted to be a DJ from the age of about 10, but I didn't know anybody that was a DJ until about 17. So then I, I got to know the right people and I got in with it and I started doing it myself and competing in like DJ competitions and things of that nature. Um, so it's, yeah, I've always wanted, like, I've always loved the idea of play. I mean, I, I, play video games I, I you know specifically computer games so i love i love playing and having that experience pull out creativity from me. some people are inspired by lots of different things but for me and and i know my wife can attest like she likes to watch like all those dramas and things of that nature like tv shows and like that was it like the what's that show everyone watched game of thrones like i have no interest in that like it's just, and I like watching movies. Okay, show's over. I no longer. I'm sorry. I just it just doesn't do anything for me. You know, watching like watching TV means like watching the news or watching something where people are winning, like The Wall on NBC, where people like it's heartwarming stories and people are winning, or Wheel of Fortune where people are winning because it's mindless and I don't, you know, it's it's not too invested. You know, part of creating I've I've learned over the years is not taking in too much content and input because I don't want my stuff to look or sound too much like anybody else's. So like I don't like I, I run a podcast conference and I and I run a podcast. I don't listen to podcasts for the most part. Like there, mm. I can count on like one hand how many podcasts I've listened to, and one specifically that goes back to 2005 that wrapped up. I think in 2014 or 2015 they they hung up their their microphones, and really outside of that, like sporadically listened to a little bit here and there. But 
you know, I don't want my stuff to sound too much like anybody else's stuff. So it kind of stinks in some ways, but in other ways, like I just get my creativity out of other, out of other things. So like music is like huge for me. I use it for meditation. I use it for running. I use it for driving. I use it for trying to craft ideas and, and putting myself in that, in that state of mind that's more free to come up with these kind of ideas and connect the dots, if -hmm. you will, uh, in my mind. You seem to be really ambitious and like you haven't been told that there's, you know, any limitation. That's a good, it's a good thing. I, it's just a, a interesting thing. Like you started a podcast in when 2014? Mm-hmm. Yeah. May 2014. And that was a dreamers podcast. It was called the dreamers podcast. Yeah. And I think you were nominated for an award that first year, not the first year. It was my, it was in 2017. So three well, years, year one. Three, yeah, I, I was nominated and well, I didn't think I'd win. I cried. I, I really <laughs> cried. Um, you know, that, uh, and there's a video of me crying too, because I, it was actually my, I guess we had had some kind of party or something at the house. I don't really remember why we had a party, but, oh, I think it was because we had a gender reveal party that, that same day. And then after, after we mm. watched live online, Todd Cochran from podcastawards.com and Blueberry was announcing all the winners. And so me and, and some of my family were there to, to watch. And I, you know, was blown away like three years of of hard work and dedication and more dedication than i think the show really needed at the time in which i gave it so like an example that when i first got started i edited everything everything was like edit 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 i'd be up till like you know midnight one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock in the morning editing Mm -hmm. and you know i i I don't like in, in retrospect, I wish I could get all those hours back. I really wish I could get all those hours back. And the reason being, and I barely edit now. I, and even in the last, like basically once I had my first kid, Ava back in 2016 in March, I stopped editing. Cause I said, there's no time for this. Hmm. It's, it's just not worth it. What I'm, what I'm trying, like what I'm investing to save a minute or two minutes of audio off of like a 45 minute or two, an hour long interview is, is not worth it. Like if you're willing to invest, 45 minutes, then me shape, me going through and editing, even at two, three X time speed is not worth shaving off like two, three minutes of that podcast. <laughs> so like, give me the extra, you know, th- two, three minutes of your time. So instead of being 42 minutes, it's 45 minutes and I'll give you a show that's worth listening to. So you're sort of the opposite of uh, Steve Jobs. How so? Uh, oh, perfectionism. Well, in terms of the boot time, if he could shave a second off of boot time of every Mac in the world, he'd save humanity <laughs> hundreds of thousands of hours. And you're kind of saying, hey, this is my family. Screw humanity. <laughs> well, okay. So, okay. With that said, with that said, a big way of, of, of the ways that Macs, Macs have changed and computers have changed as a whole is we don't, we don't turn them off and on very often anymore. They go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So and sleep wakes up in in seconds, not minutes. You right. know, so so yeah. You if you multiply even just one second out across humanity, sure, that's that's a, a mind blowing amount of well, time. Well, Joe, you have a big audience. I mean, that's a lot of minutes. It, it is, but there's also <laughs> something to be said for letting your podcast breathe, and there's also I, something to be yeah. said for getting better guests and. As we both were talking before this, you know, the repetition of interviewing and the repetition of talking Mm -hmm. on the mic and putting your thoughts together, like do, 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 do up in your head so you can form a sentence and not have a whole bunch of, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. What do you think of that? 
your craft is getting stronger you're saying exactly you you get better at it and the fact that like i said the fact of the matter is i wish i could get back all those minutes because i i when i was doing the show five days a week i was like literally killing myself to make that happen when i was editing now it would be a lot easier but it still would take it still takes a lot of time because you got to do the actual interviews you got to schedule them you got to get the people and all that stuff so it's yeah i wish i could add that time back because you know what when i won the award i was already a over a year i was almost like a year and a half a little over a year and a half removed from not editing my show anymore so what's there what's that say about editing i don't know i mean do you believe at all in anders erickson i'm not gonna say malcolm gladwell because he got it wrong about the ten thousand hour rule uh i do no i i think that there's something that ten thousand hour rule i i do i don't know that it's necessary i think it's also about quality time too that's the that's why i said malcolm gladwell get it wrong anders erickson wrote it originally and what he meant was it was deliberate practice not just practice very specific deliberate practice Mm -hmm. which is actually quite painful a lot like the hours you wish you can get back but i would put it out there that maybe you actually needed those hours to get comfortable enough to be at a level to wish you could get them back. Maybe, but like I said, if I, if I had just not edited those episodes or, you know, it's not that I didn't edit. Here's, here's what I did, right. For anybody who's interested in the podcasting thing, what I did was I I actually took a a page out of John Lee Dumas's book. And instead of editing, if there was a, if there was something that i deliberately thought I needed to edit, I would just write the timestamp down wherever we were in the recording and then i just edit backwards so i might only have to go to like five spots in the show clip 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 call it a day rather mm. than me listening through the whole thing you know like i said even at like two to three x times speed it still takes a while sure. to get it right because then because as soon as you start editing and, and chopping certain things you have to watch like the breaths have to sound right and you, you start getting it like how do i make it look right and originally my goal was to make my guests sound incredible because i was like well if my guests sound great then they're gonna share it with all their people and, and before you know it. we're gonna be huge and it's like yeah that didn't work out that way either you know yeah, that's that- a, we'll talk shop on that because i can tell you <laughs> guests can be terrible about sharing <sighs> they, and sometimes they the biggest ones are the worst but here but here's the thing though with the big ones if they if they like if John Lee Dumas when he was doing all his podcasts right like what because he was doing mm. like doing interviews like he would do like seven in a still day does. well no no but other people well I don't know if he still does other people's shows like all clumped yeah. together but either way if he shared out every single one of those episodes as well on the social media like a lot of his feed would end up being other people's shows true true but he's using it, it, it's a it's a hard balance and in fairness if. A host invites a guest on, the guest has zero obligation to share it because they were invited on, they showed up, they did perform in the interview. Yeah. That is really the only part of the contract. But there is a certain side of it's like, well, you know, it'd be kind of you to do so. And it definitely would help a lot. That's, uh, you know, one of the pains. And you have actually brought up some controversy in the past, but as your show's gotten more popular and you, you know, won an award and everything, you made a determination about guests and have started to charge. How did that come about? So it came about because I was getting frustrated that my inbox was getting like 
one to three uh, invites a day for people to, hey, could, you know, so-and-so, should, Eric would be great for your, your podcast. You should totally sure. have him on there. And I use that for a while. It was easy. Oh, is, this is great. They're booking up. They're filling a need. It's great. I love the people. Still love the people. Like, I'm still friends with these these bookers. But I, I start, <laughs> I said bookers, not boogers. So <laughs> I got you. Right. So, so, um, you know, uh, they they pick the best ones. What can I say? Uh, they, they, ooh, no, double down. They, they, uh, <laughs> they, they, um, you know, I'm like, okay, great, they're fulfilling a need. But it got to a point where, like, my guest bookings were turning into months and months down the road, where like I was just totally booked up, and I and I started to look back, and I'm like, so wait a second. These people that are reaching out to me, they're not the people that are on the sh- that I'm having on the show. They're getting a fee, like they're picking up, yep. you know, ninety bucks, a hundred bucks to an episode, and like all they most most of them, not all of them, most of them were literally just making a cold call email connection. Mm-hmm. They weren't booking for the person. They weren't. They weren't doing any extra like legwork, you know, booking as far as like, okay, you're this works on this person's calendar for this time and like get it, I get it all put together. Sure. I deliver the bio for you and all that stuff. Like they're just making a cold call email. And then that that person has to go and fill out my form to do so mm-hmm. to be on the show. And I started looking at them like, you know, they're making money. The person that's on my show is getting exposed to an audience. Hopefully, if that show's doing them right they're making money on whatever product or ser- service they're selling once people get to their site or we get to their you know social media or whatever the only one not making any money here is this guy and i'm like and you're doing the work yeah and like I, i'm not saying i'm doing all the work but like 70 percent of the work plus i'm i'm providing mm-hmm. the audience that the booker isn't providing to go and do it and i'm like you know this doesn't seem right why are they getting money but i'm the one that's got to do like most of the legwork here and especially as we were talking before the show like I'm not trying to become Steve Harvey, Ellen, or the next news TV anchor interviewer extraordinaire. Like that's not really my goal. That's not really where I'm heading. My goal is to to get more coaching clients for the team to offer the process to help them help business owners with that. So so I started thinking like, okay, this just doesn't sit right with me, and and I feel like I should be getting something out of it too. Now I don't know if it's necessarily from the bookers paying some kind of fee. They got a business. I get it. They got to make money too. But like the person's paying them. So why wouldn't they pay the person who's actually doing a lot of the work? Or to have a cut. Yeah, so, something, right? So that that's when I, I started to get really angry about it. And I wrote a really long blog post that is still, to this day, one of the most popular posts that, that get well, on a weekly basis that gets go, people to my website. Well, sure. It's it's a controversial thing because there's a, a purity a lot of people see in podcasting that two guys in a garage are supposed to be pure and free. And how dare you charge? How you dare? How dare you sully this? And I, I could see parallels with music. Like, oh, you're just a sellout. <laughs> but it's very easy to see both sides. Uh, you mm-hmm. displayed a, you know, or laid out a really big case for that. Others would say, I'm never paying to be on a podcast, and I look to them and say, okay, you could be on Tim Ferriss tomorrow for 500 bucks. I bet they'll come forward. And there's also the argument, especially with the giant podcasts. Well, 
you you were talking about getting a couple a day. How many you know hits do you think Joe Rogan gets or Matt Skaggs his Booker? It's it's got to just be. I would think like way, fifty to one hundred and fifty a day at least, yeah. and a lot of them are high level. So how do you separate? Now I don't think he charges. I mean, he's got filters in place. Others do, but that is one way to thin the numbers. You know, yep. you got to pay to even be in line with the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, because you're getting exposure to a huge audience, you know, and if you're what you're trying to say, what you're trying to bring to the table is worth it, then I mean, and again, if you're doing this for your business, like if this is a business, you know, again, my show is now the business podcast, then I I don't I I don't know that I would have did it as the dreamers podcast so much. But as the business podcast, I want business owners to come on to have something to talk about something to sell and can write this off as a marketing expense. I mean, they're probably writing off the person who they have that they're paying $100 or whatever to get them the email to even get the door, you know, foot in the door to me. Yeah, in a weird way, you're almost qualifying them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I want them to be good guests, right? Like, I want them to to, to be able because I don't want people necessarily to come on the show at this point that don't know how to talk on the mic. I have plenty of episodes where I, you know, went way out of my way to edit them to make it them sound like they knew what they were talking about, knew the timing was right, and they knew how to talk on the mic. Sure. I'm past that. I'm over that. Not and and with that said, all of this is is a, a mute a moot point, moot point, mute point, moot, whatever. It's a moot. Yeah, it's a moot <laughs> point that if I like the person and I and I want to get them exposure and I, I have the time to do it, I'm gonna have them on my show re- without them paying the money right like there's that's always an option it's not that like oh you know you have to pay to be on my show it's no it's it's a filter because i'm tired of other people making money on the back of me and me making nothing from it so i I don't know also i'm i'm curious because i kind of go through a little bit of it too but if you're out there soliciting a guest you know you've read their book or you just really want to have this person on because you admire them and you know them if people are being sent to you it's like you don't know them. You don't mm-hmm. have any relationship or anything invested. And for example, in my case, I'll spend um, six to 10 hours, you know, doing research for every guest. Wow. And that's, that's a lot of work. That is a I lot mean, of really work. Is. Holy crap. That is, I never do and, that much work. <laughs> and he won an award folks. I, no. But I don't want to know because <laughs> I don't want to hear it twice either. That's why I, I, I always hated the, the pre like people that would like want to talk. Yeah. Do a pre-interview. Cause like they'll, they would go into a, like a long drawn out story. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I don't want to have to listen to that twice because then I'll start to get bored and tune out. And I don't want to tune out. That's true. I don't I, like, I want to be actively engaged in the conversation. So like when they would start talking about, so I'd be like, no, 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 just hold on. Let's just get started. And we'll, we will get into that. I promise because I want to hear it. It sounds really like you're going to an interesting place, but I don't want to hear it twice. Well, and that's a, a good technique for pre-interviewing, especially mm-hmm. I have a story about this. Oh, perfect. Hold that. Cue that up. Let me write that. Okay. Uh, dog died or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> so uh, definitely a, you know, great pre-interview technique. Falling off Niagara Falls. Exactly. Should I keep talking or is it- <laughs> go ahead. Ed, no. There you go. <laughs> but you're super. You'll just fly away. <laughs> Speaking of being overly ambitious, you started a podcast in, well, let me see 2014, your family has a hundred million dollar business. And you said, uh, you know, I'm kind of bored. Uh, What's up that was, that? so that was a little, it was a little bit more in depth than that. Um, and it, oh, so okay. it started, <laughs> it started, it really started about six to seven years earlier. So when I was like 20, 
22, 21, I kind of questioned like, okay, I didn't finish school. So like I didn't finish college, no associates or anything, mm. no bachelor's. And I was like, what, what do I want to do? I'm, I'm not really sure. And like some of my friends that were, they have their masters or whatever. They're quite a bit older than me. They're like, Joe, you should like totally go back to school. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. Like I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'm good where we're with the business and, and everything. But I was like, it was kind of wearing on me a little bit. Fast forward to 2013, I had just become so burned out from the last about year and a half, two years, because we were doing this massive overhaul. I crafted this algorithm for our inventory to help take us to the next level. It was going to reduce our inventory, plus put us in a better position to stock the stuff that we need, you know, just in time inventory kind of thing. And it's all computer based. And it really took a lot out of me because not only were we taking our inventory from about $6 million down to like two and a half million dollars in just two years, there was a lot of people that had been in the business a long time since I was born, you know, basically they were part of my family mm-hmm. where they were like, yeah, we're, we don't, we don't agree. And you're, you're making it so there's no inventory here. And and it was a big, big battle. This has worked for your whole life. Why are you screwing with this formula? It's a successful business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, but there's also a lot of dust and there's a lot of things that need to be cycled to the other. You know, when you have 10 locations, you can cycle inventory between the lo- those locations mm-hmm. instead of buying five more you could just say well that store is not selling them i know you want 10 on the shelf but give me the five to send there because they're selling them there and you're just pretty much sitting on them there so this whole algorithm and and part of that was like cycling everything back to the main hub warehouse which you actually see in that video that just got released today that we talk about later. And we cycled the inventory through there and then redistributed it and then returned a lot of stuff to get the inventory down as much as possible and turn it into cash because we were coming through a little bit of a tough time at that stage. So I was getting really burnt out. And in 2013, I actually just helped my friend pack up his house. So I live in the house I grew up in and he lives the next block over like on the other street. And he he was moving to new york so i was like all right yeah i'll get the truck you know i borrowed one of our trucks packed up the whole house and i and i left i borrowed my one of my other like best friends cars to drive over to my dad's house that night and tell him look i i think i want to go back to school and i i i think i'm ready to move on at some point here I don't know what that looks like. Mm. I don't know. Like I'm going back to school for business administration. I don't, I don't have no idea. I, I mean, I hadn't even um, gone to school to like register or anything. And this is August of 2013. So yeah, definitely wasn't a great conversation. Um, and <laughs> the months after that were really, they just got progressively worse for me being there because it was not a, it was not a welcome change, put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it, and, and I, I, I totally understand why, and I get it, you know, this far removed now it's been, it's actually today is five years <laughs> since, since my last day. Yeah. April 2nd, uh, 2014 was my, my last day. Um, unfortunately I ended in a fist fight cause it just got so toxic between me and my wow. dad. I was supposed to be out January 1st. But I still had no plan. I, I went to a bunch of networking events. I, I was like, you know, maybe I want to get into like sports management or something, something like that. And and I went to a, a networking meeting, met up with some people that are like somewhat close to the top of where they're supposed to be. We hit it off and they're like, no, this clearly is not for you because you don't want the life that we're going through because it's very similar to the life you're living now where, you know, it's a 24-7 thing. And when it snows, you're out there plowing until whatever hour and then you're working that same day and all that stuff. So you want to have a family. So he's like, nah, it's not, 
they're like, nah, it's not good for you. I'm like, okay, great. I saved me a whole bunch of headache, right? Saved me a bunch of time. I just shortcutted that whole experience to decide, no, I'm not, I'm I'm good. I'm gonna pass on that. But yeah, April 2nd was the last day. It was it was a tough it was a that was a tough day, man. That was a real tough day. Cause I had a I had a test that night <laughs> after after we got into a fight at the office. And uh mm. fortunately the teacher didn't show up that night. So so, so I was able to leave, which I was like, I need to get out of here. This is not good. I'm very upset, very distraught. And then a month later, almost yeah, almost like a month later, I was on a plane to Disney World to go run a 5K <laughs> and with a friend of mine. And we started talking because I just uh, my album, my DJ album had just released uh, like two weeks earlier. And I was doing interviews on Disney podcasts at the time to promote this album because mm. it's all Disney music mashed up with like hip hop instrumentals to tell the story of uh Pixar's up. And have you seen Poco? Po- uh, uh Poco? Pogo. Pogo. I don't You'll have to look him up later. Uh, he's on YouTube. He takes like uh pieces of Disney and other music and turns them into entire compositions. Oh wow. Yeah, I will I just uh I just brought him up on, on a tab. Um so I will. I will I will look Sorry. that up. No, it's cool. Yeah, so I, you know, that's when they were like, "Oh, he's like, "Oh, you know, you you should uh look at these other shows with like on, where they interview entrepreneurs and things like that." And I'm like, "Oh, wow." Like here I am trying to get on a, a bunch of Disney round like roundtable discussion shows, <laughs> and I didn't even think about like that there'd be shows that just interview people. Like didn't even didn't even occur to me that like Larry King was a thing, but in podcast form. So that on that plane ride, I uh, formulated a show because I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I know tons of people in business. I could totally do a show around business, and I was like, well, but I know a lot more people that live their dreams. So when the plane landed, I registered the domain name, the Facebook, and the Twitter handle all before we got to the rental car from my phone. Nice. Um, I already had a list of a bunch of people I wanted to interview, and I just I reached out to my good friend Al Kessel, who has been on every episode of the show ever since with me as my Mister Voice like narrator. At oh. the, he's now only at the end of the show, but it used to be the opening and the and the intro outro, and now it's just in the outro. And and he helped me get the couple of things I needed, like cause I already had a sound background, I already had the tech background and all that, so I just needed like mm. okay, I know WordPress, but like what do I need to do it? He gave me those couple of pieces. Two weeks later, I had my first episode. I went from having one episode a week to the second week, I had three episodes a week, and then. Four weeks in, I went to five episodes a week for about three months or so. So I got to about 75 episodes and then scaled it back down to three so that I could start to write my first book. Now, hold on. Burying the lead a little bit. Yeah. You uh, got a podcast and ramped it up to five episodes a week. And that wasn't enough for you. So you decided you needed a conference. Oh, yeah. So uh, (laughs) fast forward to like December, Jared Easley of Podcast Movement and Lou Mangello of the WDW radio show. They hosted a conference down in Disney. It was it was in downtown Disney and it was in it was in December. And I happened to be down there for for a podcast meetup for for my the one podcast I do listen to or did listen to when it still existed. And they were like, you know, they put on this thing. It was a one day event. I met a couple of people that I'm still very close with to this day. And I came home and I'm like, oh, you know, like I love putting on events. Like I've done DJ events. I've done land parties. I've done, I've been around. My family used to put on a big event with like a thousand people in one night, a vendor night where the people would have like, you know, the vendors would have booths, like manufacturer booths. And we'd have food, like a, a big buffet and all that. And 
So I, I was like, okay, well, we got to have food at, at, at some kind of podcasting conference in the Northeast because there was nothing at the time. There was there was no other. I mean, podcast movement, I think, was just getting started the following year. Mm. And as as was I. So yeah, it um, and so uh, podcast podcast PME multimedia. I'm sorry, podfest. Podfest US, they, you know, they were just getting started as well. So, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to put this conference together. And we did like a meetup in New York the, in the following, like two or three months later. So this was in December, 2014, 20, or I think like February or March, uh, 2015, we had a meetup in New York city. And then I was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this po- uh, podcast conference in September. And we ran. I got a um a school gymnasium at a Catholic school that I became friends with because of the podcast. Now I heard that your conference is really well liked because it sounds like you did some really creative things. Shockingly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, I try to keep it creative and and fresh. We do the creative podcast competition where podcasters get an envelope with like five or six words in it and they team up into groups of four so the goal is to get people out of their seats interacting with other people and getting them out of their comfort zones now with those six words they have 20 minutes to put together a five minute podcast that they have to perform for the entire conference so it's semi-improv yes semi not that's yep. cool. Yeah, so they get the they have to craft like an intro, outro, music, craft the show and perform it. And then there's judges and then the they they each have a scale of 1 to 10 for a couple different factors um like for the music and their X factor and stuff like that. And then the winning team uh, every year we've given away generally it's ATR 2100 microphones from Audio Technica mm-hmm. for each person in the team that in the, that wins. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so uh, the first year we were sponsored by Audio Technica. This year we're sponsored by Audio Technica, and in oh. the other three years we were sponsored by other other or- like Spreaker and AuditMyPodcast.com, and I think Spreaker's might have might have sponsored two of the two of them, and then Audit My Podcast was one of them as well that sponsored the actual competition. But it's really a workshop, right? It's a workshop in improv. It's a workshop in in all that. And then the other thing that people seem to really love is that the conference is in one room. So there's no like, oh, I'm going in this session, and I'm going to that session, mm. and this session, and that session. Everybody's in the same room. So what, what, what you get is you know, inside jokes that get created through through doing it this way because because everyone's in the same room and they're rubbing elbows with people like a Dave Jackson, like a Jessica Kupferman, like a Rob Greenlee, like that's cool. crap. I'm blanking on some other awesome name. Harry Tom Durant. Hay, Harry Durand. Yeah, like I, you know, I, and there, I mean, there's so many other people that I, I, you know, Matthew Passy. Like, there's so many people that I want to name. I get you. you know Anthony Hayes uh, of the um, a podcast discovery center things like people like that so it's it, you're just rubbing elbows with these people because you're not just seeing them for like one or two in one or two sessions you're seeing them for the whole conference in the same room Plus and then we also include, watching each other's yes which they're is all a benefit too yep mm-hmm. um and and yeah they're, everybody gets to see every single every single talk so we have a lot of speakers we generally get about 40 speakers for each each conference each conference and what we do is if it's your first year speaking with us you are a spotlight speaker that gets eight minutes so you ha- it's like a lightning talk but you get eight minutes in front of like a hundred plus people in a room <laughs> and then on and you get a discount for your ticket the second year you get a comp ticket and you're you, then you get qualified to be a featured speaker that gets like 21 to 24 minutes 
So that's almost like comedy. I don't I, know if you've yes. looked at it. You have the no. feature act, the, the short, you know, oh, do you have okay. 10 minutes or do you have this amount? I mean, it, it's a cool way to help ramp up and maybe expose more people. It is. I want, I want to give people that platform, right? I want to give people that opportunity to get in front, expose their idea and, and get, you know, more thoughts out there. And then uh, on the same token, it helps me grow the conference, right? Because like we have about like a 50-50 split, people who who do it for their business or do it full time versus people that are doing it as a hobby or just and or just getting started. So it's it's great for for like people that that want to learn more, that want to come and be a part of something. And and the family just grows year after year. And that's the word that I get told every single year is, you know, I love the the you know, my Mapcon family. And I mean, I heard that a podcast movement, people talking about the, their Mapcon family, which is it just it just means so much to me because I just love bringing people together and having a great time and creating you know an experience for them. That's really awesome. So now you're actually branching out further because audio is not enough. <laughs> you have a TV show now here. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm currently working on getting it into production. We just filmed our first promo video that released. It's it's called The Top with Super Joe Pardo. When the network came to me, they're like, "Hey, we would love to have you on our podcasting network." And I was like cool but i already do a podcast let's do let's you got that tv network let's let's talk about that and it Which turned into uh biz tv yeah so it turned into this uh like okay let's let's explore what what a show a tv show would look like and i was like you know i don't really want to do a talk show i already do that with my podcast um mm. You know, it, it's cool, but it, it's not really what I want to, where I, the goal, the goal is for me to have my own show where I help, you know, rescue businesses, um, rescue business owners, help the people behind the businesses. And, and that's what the top of super Joe Pardo is uh, like a bar rescue for business. Yep. Mm-hmm, yep. Bar rescue, oh. the profit, uh, somewhere in that main, but it, but it brings not my dirty style. Oh no, not dirty. Jo- <laughs> no, 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 not dirty. <laughs> I want to see how deep you would go here. <laughs> how much I commitment? Do you I appreciate have? you know micro, but no, I that's not my uh, that's not my forte. I got to stay in my lane a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah, you don't have that full commitment. Not like he does. He is he is awesome. <laughs> What's well, funny? You would um in your promo it talked about how so many businesses fail. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of been that way forever. Uh, a previous guest I had on, uh, Christopher Lockhead, had talked about we are at the lowest level entrepreneurship according to Brookings Institute and forever. I, I, I forgot what the number was, but it is really daunting. So what you're doing, hopefully maybe it'll help on that and add some exposure. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I think it's, you know, people don't always realize what goes into owning a business. And, and as my great grandfather would always say, you know, if owning a business was easy, everyone would do it. But, you know, I really love helping helping people because businesses are robots, right? They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. very binary, but they're robots in the sense that they, they operate 24-7. Regardless if the business is open 24-7, there's always more. They're, they're just very hungry for man hours, you know, woman hours, if mm-hmm. you will. And there's people that are behind it. And those people have complications. They have feelings and emotions and hardships. And sure. they don't operate 24-7 like a business needs to to basically operate. So being able to go in and help business owners get their the top stands for team offer process in place mm. uh, and, and sort those things out 
it really enables them to be able to take the bowler off of them because the weight, the crushing weight of the stress when a business isn't rolling the way it's supposed to, or isn't, you know, isn't operating at its full capacity is, or sometimes when it is operating at its full capacity can also be very daunting. If your, if your process in place isn't strong enough to enable it to, to be, to operate that in that manner. Right. Like we, like you could have a system to set up like, okay, well, everything works as long as, we don't get overwhelmed with too mm. much, which too with too much of business in it, because all of a sudden it's like, well, we have all this paperwork that we have to fill out, and we have all this other these other thing, you know, steps in the process, and it, you know, by not injecting that technology, by not looking outside the box to figure out, like, okay, well, how can we make it so that even if we start to have a large influx, how we how do we handle it then, or how do we handle it when there isn't an influx of business? What are we going to do to go generate leads? What are we going to do to get people to knock on the door or, or pick up the phone? And how are we going to go pick up the phone? And how are we going to distribute that process among multiple salespeople, right? How are we going to... All those things fall into, into place. And a lot of those things end up getting pushed aside because of the the stress and the weight of like the fine... Usually the financial burden is just that boulder just sitting on, on, like on their chest. Is there ever a case that they just need to either pivot so hard or they're just flat out in the wrong business? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very possible. It, you know... They do say like niche, you know, riches are in the niches kind of thing, but sometimes being too niched in the wrong area. Yeah. Wagon wheel manufacturer <laughs> might be tough. <laughs> Just saying. I don't know. It could be, but it also depends on where you're at. If you're out right. in, the, in, in country land, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, <laughs> Amish country, maybe you can get some business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But in other places, it, you know, it's really hard. And then, you know, what are you doing to keep those customers? Like if in an area where you, for whatever reason, have decided that you can't sell online, so you can't expand the field of view as far as like people seeing your products and, and things of that nature, what are you doing to make sure that you're, the, the few customers that you do have that buy from you are going to keep buying from you? And it's not just because you're the only game in town. Because the internet's a thing and people will find sure. a way. It's just like life. Life finds a way to quote, mm-hmm. you know, Malcolm. I think there's always something that can be improved upon and trying to go and help these struggling business owners and businesses isn't necessarily the ones that are just struggling to survive, but also the ones that are struggling to grow, trying to find what's the next step. But sometimes the next step isn't out there sometimes the next step is like literally in your store in your shop in your process where you're just dropping the ball because you walk into a shop and it's just super messy and disorganized that's not helping your cause right so maybe you shouldn't be looking at trying to expand and like what's the next thing maybe you should try to fix what you got first and go from there cobbler's kids have no shoes (laughs) yeah there you go No, that makes sense. I mean, so you're an extra set of eyes who can kind of look from an outside perspective because we get caught up in in the minutiae so much Mm -hmm. that it's difficult to see it. Yeah. And I have other experts that I'm bringing in too. So it's not just about me, depending on what the business needs, right? What they're telling me in the casting form, what I'm getting when I do the, you know, one-on-one interviews with them prior to coming and filming. What I do is I reach in, find one of my guest experts, have him come in and be able to help like on a 
deeper level than what I can necessarily deliver on that specific topic that they need help with. So it's all about finding the right business with the right expert to try to plug in. Oh, it sounds just like bar rescue in that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, but but it's niche. So that you know, there's the um, cook and the and the bartender right. um, or mixologist. You know, that's that's the thing. So it's just pulling out the right expert for the right business and plugging it in to make it to make it work. So it amplifies the help and that we're providing when we get there. Oh, it makes a ton of sense. And you could find people in a similar industry from another city, for example, with your connections. So absolutely, a- yeah. So they're not necessarily direct competitors, or or like I said, if it, maybe they need help with their marketing. Well, I have plenty of marketing people I can reach into my bag, pull out, and bring with me to the to film with, and have them help deliver the mess, you know, deliver the message, if you will, <laughs> and help and, and help with where they're at. So the goal is to film for one day, less than 24 oh, wow. hours when we go there. So it's going to be really intense. You're not going to um, even have a prep day or no. I mean, that's why we're doing to do the video interviews because I'm also working at my family's uh, repair shop, whereas I'm trying to help them build a franchise model out of their heavy yeah. duty repair shop. So it can't be like, oh, it's a three day shoot because this is 26 episodes for a season. Like if I did three days, when does it start? Well, that's that's a great question. We're, we are working on getting all the casting in play, probably start filming in the next like three, four weeks or so. We're also still looking for partners, for sponsorships, for advertorials, because that's the other thing is we want to bring in partners that are that want to offer up free services to their mm. to, you know, to these businesses. So like, hey, your your accounting really sucks. Here's FreshBooks, QuickBooks, you know, QuickBooks or whoever, you know, Zero or what, you know, whoever. Kind of like the tap system that they always had in Bar Rescue. Exactly. And here's why, here's three ways that this is going to help you specifically to make it all work. Now, normally at this point of the show, I would say, what's coming next for Super Joe Pardo? But I I think we covered that (laughs) pretty well. And I mean, I have, I have another book. I got another book that okay. I, I finally came up with the title for. I don't want to give it away yet, but uh, but I have a, a leadership book that I want to work on. And when I actually when this when this whole like TV show thing came on my plate back in Fe- I think it was like early February, late January, I was like, well, do I really want to dedicate the time to a TV show? I was like, I had this book idea I want to write. And I, and I started thinking like, well, my goal is to like be a younger Marcus Limonis. So if that's the case, a book is cool, but it's not going to get me where I want to be necessarily anytime soon. And you have four. I already, I do have four books. Yeah. One business book, sales won't save your business. And then three self-development books. Still four books. It, so. it is. Four books, no TV. No TV. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's, that's you put it in the columns, right? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, if you're going to get black and white on it, so now everybody can find out all this magic at superjoepardo.com, right? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the conference, I you can get to the conference from my website, but if you go to midatlanticpodcast.com, I don't do a great job of cross branding the two, like cross promoting okay. the two, because I don't really feel that they necessarily, the people that are going there doesn't necessarily equate to that. But sure. So, yeah. So you go to midatlanticpodcast.com uh, for the podcast conference as well. And that's September. This year, I didn't even mention we're going to be at, in Atlantic City this year instead of the Holiday Inn. In Philadelphia, we're going to be in Atlantic City, New Jersey at the Ocean Resort Casino, which is incredible if you go look it up. It's it's an, it's a, an amazing building, and I'm super honored that we get to to have our con- our fifth anniversary conference there. Nice. Nice. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, this has been a nice meandering discussion that we went all over the place, just like I love. 
Thank you very much, Super Eric, for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. It's been, a, it's been a heck of a conversation. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to Mr. Hayes? A fish surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing the diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you, very much. You look very pretty, just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader. Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I gotta talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 